So thankful you're here today. Open up your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, uh, studying verses 4 through 10. And uh, as you turn there, I just want you to ask uh, and answer this question. How many times have you heard people say, or maybe you've said yourself, or maybe you've even said it uh, sometime this morning or this week, um, I can't wait to go to church. And that's amen. That's right. You know, and, 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 and hey, I want you to come to to, to my church, and you know, and you might even say, if you're on the Connections team, welcome to uh, Redemption Hill Church. And, uh, and, and we, we understand what we mean by that, uh, but at the same time, or even, even this, a classic one for pastors and people to say, um, you know, Psalm 122 verse 1 says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go, you know this verse, to the house of the Lord. Amen, right? Amen. Amen. Except God doesn't, God doesn't have a house here. This, this is, we, we don't, so what we, what we often mean by that is like, I want you to come to a place that we think about as the church. Now, the church, oftentimes people associate the church with what? A building, Right? But what we're going to see in 1 Peter is that God's house is not a place, but the people who follow Jesus. We are God's house. And so listen, I, I know that, you know, you're still going to say that. Or you're going to be like, oh, Pastor Tanner says don't say that because like, hey, it's okay. You know, it's okay if you say come to church or welcome to our church when people walk through these doors. But, but hopefully what's going to happen after seeing what Peter says about God's house, the church, is that you're going to think, hey, what I'm inviting these people to is not, uh, you know, the Marsha Karen Theater, you know, at Medford High. We meet at the high school, so that kind of helps us understand this a bit more. Uh, but what we're inviting people to is not a place, but to the people who make up this church. And that encourages me because that's, like, that's, that's the better reason to want. Like, when I invite my friends, I am confident that they are going to have an amazing experience because God is doing an amazing work in this amazing people known as Redemption Hill Church. So, so put that into your just framework as we think about God's house being not a place but the people who follow Jesus. This is what Peter's going to teach us in these verses. So read along with me as I read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. This is what Peter writes. As you come to him, that's Jesus. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, 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 you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray one more time. God, would you, in these moments, speak to our hearts exactly where we need to hear your voice the loudest as we receive from your truth today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I want to give you three truths about who you are as God's house today, all right? Three truths that we see right here from these seven verses, okay? Number one, God's house is built on the risen Christ, all right? I'm going to write this down if you're taking notes. God's house is built on the risen Christ. What I love about Peter, Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples, and so there was no doubt about it. He was super clear on the identity of Jesus, and that is what he is passing on to us. And so who is Jesus? Number one, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. We see this in verse four. It says, as you come to him, all right? Now, a little English you know, lesson. I hope I get this right. I'm pretty sure I'm on track. I was trying to catch one of our English teachers before the service, but it didn't work out. Um, so, so him is a personal pronoun. That's, that's right. Am I right? We good on that? It's a pronoun. Personal, personal pronoun. Is that right? Okay. All right. If you're saying yes and the English teachers aren't willing to speak up and say wrong, you're wrong with me. All right. So just want to point that out. So that's the first one. And, and, and pronouns have what are called antecedents. This is, is this right? Somebody that knows. Am I right? Okay. This is great. So, so pronouns, thank you, have antecedents. And the antecedent of him in verse 4 is what? In verse 3... If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So Jesus, him, is the Lord of verse 3. And when Peter is talking about the Lord of verse 3, he's echoing Psalm 34 that is saying the Lord, God, Yahweh. So there is once again an implicit and even really explicit claim that Jesus is Jesus is Lord. But not only that, Jesus is a living stone. Peter points to the fact that Jesus is alive, that he has been raised from the dead. He is the living stone that was rejected by people, but in the sight of God, chosen. That means he was selected, hand-selected for this specific assignment of being the redeemer of the world. But not only chosen, he is also precious. He has infinite value in the sight of God the Father. 
And in these words, we hear the, the echo of what God says at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. When God speaks from heaven, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Peter was super clear on the identity of Jesus who we are coming to. But not only that, he was super clear that this identity of Jesus demands that all people, once they discover the claims of Christ, must fundamentally choose one of two options, either to accept him or to reject him. And this is what he says so clearly in verses 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. What does it mean to accept Christ? Well, the first few words help us out. He says, as you come to him. So, so, so someone who has accepted Christ has come to him for life, come to him for meaning and satisfaction, come to him for ultimate purpose and fulfillment in life. But, but notice that Peter is talking to Christians. So these are, these are Christians who have already come to him. And so for Peter to put this in the present tense and to say, this is for your present moment and consequently for us now who are hearing this as followers of Christ, this is for our present moment. He is saying, what? Keep coming to him. Keep coming to him. This is the essence and the foundation of what it means to have a real vibrant relationship with God is that we just keep coming to him every single day in such a way that it's like we can't get enough. Don't you want to spend the time with the people that you love the most and the people that you just love to be around and, and you know, encourage you and, and really build you up and give you life? And God is better. He's so much better. If we have tasted and seen how good he is. And so the invitation for us is to keep coming to him. How, how is it with you and God these days? Like, are you coming to him? Are you enjoying that time? Day by day, getting that, getting that set aside. I'm talking about that set aside face-to-face -face time with God. Where you talk to him like a, a father to a daughter, like a father to a son, like a, wow, friend to friend. God wants to be your very best friend. You may say, well, Tanner, you know, like, I understand that, but it's not super great these days. I'm like, so busy, you know, Pastor, I'm so busy. You should see my calendar. I got so much to do, man. You should ask. My boss is all like making me work that overtime, and then, you know, I got to watch my shows. <laughs> hey, I just say all this in love, right? We, are, we, we all been there. We'll be, but, but here's the beautiful thing. No matter where you are, like, honestly, honestly, a room this size, there are probably people that haven't cracked their Bible in weeks. Guess what? God's arms are open. He's just saying, come on back and enjoy. This is what I love about this season as we lead to Easter. Uh, Redemption Hill, for the past several years, has observed what uh, Christians throughout the centuries, uh, so many have observed in the season of Lent. And Lent is a 40-day journey that leads us to Easter weekend and Easter Sunday. And it's a time where Christians have 
sought to draw near to God through that practice that, oh yes, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, it's like an expectation for all of us, which is one of the reasons why we love to practice it together during this season as we focus on the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Because what is, what is Lent about? What is fasting about? Listen, maybe you fasted before. Maybe you're part of a different church and you're like, everyone fasted and gave up a certain meal on a whatever certain day. Um, but, but really what it felt like was this like empty ritual. Like I'm just doing it because everyone else is doing it and this is what we do. But, but fasting in the, the scriptures is about abstaining from, yes, primarily food, but um, it can be really anything that grabs your attention and your time, whatever technology or you know, some kind of other focus point in your life that, that would free you up from caring so much about that so that you could cultivate a greater dependence on God and receive more of Him in your daily life. And so we, listen, I love this, we fast, we, we forsake certain foods or certain activities so that we can feast on who Jesus is. That's what this is about. And so I hope starting this, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and we have some ways that we're going to pray together as a church, and, you know, fire nights and groups nights of prayer in a few weeks, and uh, even on Wednesdays, we're going to open up the community center at noon so that anyone who wants to fast from lunch on Wednesdays, or, or even if you can't get away from work, but you just join in prayer for the focus point that we're going to put out each week. This week, it's on multiplying God's work in us, more of God's uh, life in our lives then we can do this together as a church family. Coming, what? Coming to him, this living stone. This is, this is how our lives are transformed. This is how we build our lives on the foundation of Christ. So there is an active element here that we see in these first four words, as you come to him. But what Peter goes on to say in verse five is he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are what? Are being built up. And so, so, again, you know, this is like we need to know some, some principles of, you know, English to, to be able to read well and read the Bible. Um, this is in the passive tense, which means that we, are, are we doing the building? No. We are not doing the building. And a couple translations say, built, like, they actually use that, that kind of, Tense, and, and I think it's wrong. I think this has it right. God, God is the one doing the building. We come to him. We, we keep believing in him and trusting in him. That's why, you know, verses 6 and 7 use that word believe and trust, that we're, we're giving our lives over to him time after time, day after day, situation after situation, anxiety after anxiety. We're saying, God, you're better, you're, you're worthy, you have this in your hands. I can trust you with my life, I can trust you with my relationship, I can trust you with my workplace. And as we do that, oh yeah, God is building us up. He's building our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 16, verse 18, when he said to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter. After this confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
He says, it's on this confession of who I am that I will build what? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is still building his church today. Jesus is still building you and I. Jesus is still building us up into a spiritual house. But we have to be built up on the cornerstone. Peter says this in verse uh, uh, 4 and 5, and then he, uh, he quotes um, Isaiah 28 and verse 6 and uh, Psalm 118 and verse 7. And he says that this living stone, this resurrected Christ, is the cornerstone. Now, what you need to understand about architecture is that builders would gather up many, many stones that look like they could be the perfect cornerstone, but they would reject dozens of them that weren't just right. There would be that foundation block that the building would be aligned by and built up from that the entire structure of the church, the entire uh, building of the church, and we're talking about millions and millions and millions of Christians throughout the ages are being built on Jesus Christ in perfect alignment with who he is. And so I ask you this morning, have you accepted Christ as the cornerstone of your life? Are you coming to him? Is your life being built up on him day by day by day? Because sadly and tragically, not everyone who hears the great news about Jesus says, oh yeah, I've got to have him. I've got to follow him. I want to accept him with my life. But Peter is super clear. He says that just as so many in Jesus' day rejected his words, rejected his message, rejected him, even ultimately by nailing him to a Roman cross. So also people in Peter's day and in our day, when they hear the message of Christ, they say, thank you, but no thank you. And what Peter says to encourage these people who are following Jesus is he says, look, the honor is for you who believe. Honor is a relational word. We're honored in the sight of God. We're honored in the sight of others ultimately because we've trusted in Jesus But for those who reject him, he says that that they will experience dishonor and they will experience shame. And why is that? It's because they've rejected the one who God chose and who God says is most precious. And so when they stumble over, that's what uh, verse 8 says. It says they stumble over the message of Christ. They stumble over. Have you ever tripped over a rock? It's like he's, he's using this rock imagery and he's saying that they didn't understand who Jesus was. So it's like they stumbled over. They tripped over who he is. They, they, they couldn't see. And they ultimately rejected Jesus. And Peter actually says in verse 8, he says, this is what, this is what the, was, was destined for them to do as they disobeyed. It was their responsibility, and yet God is sovereign over all affairs of our lives in a mysterious way, even though he gives us responsibility that, that he also is over all of our decisions in life. And this is uh, to, to say, why, why would he say this to, to these readers who are believers? Well, I think it's because he wanted them to receive comfort. 
that God is in control, that even though there is a lot of evil around you and there is a lot of evil that is being waged against you, that you can trust that everything is in my hands, even the unthinkable reality that people would hear this good news of God dying for them and still say, no, thank you. And so what we see first is that God's house is built on the foundation of the risen Christ. But then, number two, we see that God's house displays the beauty of Christ. We see this specifically in verse 5 and then verses 9 and 10. And, and I don't want you to miss the connection between verses 4 and 5. Let's look at 5. He says, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's just study for a minute. What's the connection between verse 4 and verse 5? Anybody got it? You can look at the Bible in front of you. If you have. So Jesus is... The living stone, we are living stones. There you go. Ding, 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 ding. You know, it was too hard. Um, So Jesus is the risen Christ. He is the rock. But now, because we have put our faith and hope in his resurrection, we have, as we sang in two songs, by the way, I'm thankful those lyrics work together, that his life is flowing through our veins. That his, yes, resurrected life is flowing through our veins. That as we go about our business on a daily basis, we actually get to reflect and display a life that is not dead on the inside and, and numb to, the, to God or the people around us, but that is alive through Jesus Christ. And this picture of this spiritual house being built is a, a picture of a structure going up piece by piece. We, we see buildings being constructed as you go into Boston on 93 or even as you drive around Medford Square, you see the new police station going up beam by beam or now on High Street, the new library is going up and the foundations being poured for our new public library in Medford. We, we see this all the time, houses being built. It's just one piece after another and, and God's saying, you are like this spiritual house now that's being built living stone by living stone on the ultimate living stone, Jesus Christ. And there are a couple of implications that we shouldn't miss here as we think about the, the way that the church is built. It's one by one. We never, we never um, you know, uh, discount the value of just one person hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Just one person coming to Redemption Hill for the first time. Just one person saying yes to him and following him. It's reason for celebration. And so we see the, the church, the, the house of God being built one by one as one person after another says yes to following Jesus. But not only that, as we find our identity in him, then we reflect as we're being built the beauty of who he is because our identity is found in him. And so Paul talks about, uh, Paul, Peter, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, we're now we're in Peter. Peter talks about four ways that we see this. In verse 9, he says that this, this spiritual house is a chosen race. 
just as Jesus was chosen to be God's redeemer. Now, we have been chosen for redemption to be brought into his family. And this was not because we were extra special. This was just because God is so, so merciful, withholding that which we do deserve and giving us that which we do not deserve. And when he brings us into his family, now he makes us one new people. So we're not just chosen by him, but we are a chosen race. We, we actually, I love this, we actually constitute a new spiritual race of people. Just this weekend, I got to hang out with about 70 Korean college students at a retreat, and they, you know, let me do what I love to do, preach a couple times. But, but what was amazing was just after 27 hours of being together from about 7 p.m. on Friday night to about 10, it was actually 10.45 when we uh, were able to leave, um, I, I just stood up and said, hey, just in 27 hours, I feel like you guys are, are family because we are. And this is what we love about the kingdom of God. This is what we love about Boston and this church specifically is that God takes Nigerians and Brazilians and Koreans and Chinese and Caucasian and he brings us all together and he makes us one new race of people. To where now the most important thing about us, we love ethnicity, we love our differences, we love the different ways that we can learn from one another's cultures and, and, and experience that. But, but ultimately, the most important thing about us is not the color of our skin or our background, where we're from. The most important thing about us now is that we belong to Jesus Christ and we are a chosen race in him with the same blood flowing through our veins. Welcome to Redemption Hill Church, this people. And welcome to Jesus Christ. He makes us a chosen race and he makes us a royal priesthood. Now, listen, for the Jewish reader or hearer that would have been hearing these words, this would have been absolutely unthinkable. You say, why, Pastor Tanner? Well, the only people who could be royalty in Israel or the only people who could be priests in Israel were those who had genealogical access. So if you didn't belong to David's line or you didn't belong to Levi's line, then you were out. But Jesus shows up and he comes onto the scene, yes, as the true temple of God. I love this language about houses, really a, a pointer to, and it's used so much in the, the Bible that the terms house and temple are used synonymously. And so Jesus in John chapter 2, do you remember the story where he comes in and he sees, like so many churches, by the way, shame on them, make God's house a marketplace where it's, you know, if you'll give, you know, your, your, your thousand bucks or whatever, God will give you 10,000. That's called the health and wealth prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. But this is what was happening even in Jesus' day. So Jesus sees it going on, and it's all about commerce and the, the bottom line. And he starts turning over tables. He wasn't having it. It was righteous anger in his heart. And he said, what? This is my father's house. And my father's house is not a marketplace. It should be a house of prayer and worship. 
And the religious leaders are a little bit upset. I mean, after all, they gave them permission to be there and to make their trades and to take all the temple tax dollars and to put it in the coffers and probably put it in their own pockets like charlatans today. And they say, Jesus, by what sign or right do you do this? And what did Jesus say? Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the very presence of God, the true temple of God, and that he would die on a Roman cross, but he would rise again three days later. And now, oh, it gets better. Now you as a spiritual house because you belong to the living stone, because you have his life in you by the Holy Spirit, as it says in Ephesians 2, 22, In him, you also are being built together. There it is again, into a dwelling place for God. How? By the Holy Spirit. We are a spiritual house. That word spiritual points to the fact that this is the work of God's spirit that has made us now the very presence of God, the very temple of God ourselves. So now we are the temple and we are a royal priesthood. We are royalty. We we belong to the king's family. Just look to the person to your right and to your left and say, you are royalty. Come on, say it a little bit louder. See, say, it, say it just a little bit louder. Say it like, oh, t- time out, time out, time out. You know, I used to be a basketball coach, so I can call timeouts, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I can get loud if I need to. Time out. Time out. You got to say it like you believe it, all right? You got to say it with a little conviction. You were, you were royalty. Come on. You are royalty. You are beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man, I'm not sure we'd win a game if, you know, if we were out on the court. Now I'm teasing. Um, no, but this is, so, this is so important, right? I know it's fun and it's kind of uncomfortable and I'm doing that more, making these talk and stuff and sermons. But, 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 but wait, this is super important. Because that's not how you look at each other so often. I hear that families, like groups of people, get on each other's nerves. <laughs> I hear that families are imperfect. I hear that families sin against each other. Not my family, but, you know. <laughs> but, but, but you, see how, you see how the enemy works? This becomes the dominant narrative. This becomes the lens by which we see one another. Oh, they said that. They did that. We talked about this a little bit last week. Instead of, wait, that's, that's my family, and they belong to the king. They are royalty. They are chosen. They are precious. They are now priests before God. Do you know what that means? It means that we have complete and total access to God. 
There's nothing separating us now. There's no, there's no veil. The Holy of Holies was this thick curtain that separated the people from the most holy place in the temple where the glory of God and the presence of God was, was on display more than any other place. And when Jesus died, the, the veil of, of the curtain tore in two, giving us complete access saying now you are priests before God, that you can, you can go to God and have complete access face-to-face, being fully present with the God who made you at any point of any day. You don't need a pastor or a priest to pray for you. Like, this is great. Like, absolutely, we want to pray for you. We want to support you. We want to encourage you. But you can go straight to him. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Peter is borrowing language again from the Old Testament, this time in Exodus 19.6, where he alludes to the narrative of God's mighty deliverance of his people from bondage in Egypt, which reminds them that God both hears the cries of his people in distress and acts to rescue them. A chosen race, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That we, we, we are marked. We, we are his. And, and I don't know about you, but, but stuff that belongs to me that I highly value, I treasure it. I protect it. I want to know where it is. And this is how God is with us. And so I want you just to think about now our identity in Christ. I want you to think about two implications. As I already alluded to, number one, this should fundamentally change how we look at one another and how we relate to one another when we get together on Sunday through the week when we're hanging out or when we come to group and we're we're spending time and we're sharing our stories and we're doing life together. That we're this kind of family that we've been brought together by the blood of Christ, the risen Christ. But, but not only that, now together, listen, there's, there's so much power in being together that now together we are offering spiritual sacrifices to God. This is what it says in verse 5. Look back. He says, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Why? to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Let me just explain that real quick. So what's, what's going on there? We don't have sacrifices. We're not, you know, bringing bulls and goats and, you know, uh, pigeons and doves to church. So um, what kind of sacrifices do we offer? Anything in your life that you offer to God as an act of worship is a spiritual sacrifice. which should be anything and everything in our lives. Every relationship, every time you go to work, every attempt to serve someone or love them in the name of God, this is a spiritual sacrifice, not just when we're singing these amazing songs and, and focused face-to-face with God in prayer and, and God speaking to us, and, but, but it's all the time. We offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And so God's house is built on the foundation of Christ. It reflects the beauty of Christ. And then finally, 
Number three, God's house attracts others to Christ. We see this in verse 9. It's implied all throughout, these spiritual stones, they're beautiful stones, and, and, and beauty on display is attractive, right? It catches people's attention, it draws people in. But so often, what, what, we, what we do is we're content with just saying, hey, I'm going to let my light shine, which means I'm going to like, be a good Christian and do things for Jesus, and it's actually going to be in his name, but no one's going to know his name. Because we could all right now, and we are going to, by the way, the next time that they have a serve day at Medford High School, we're going to flood them with more volunteers than they know what to do with. That's what's happening. But we could go out there right now, do some good deeds, and, and be the best people, and take a real interest in, 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 in everyone that we meet, and, and yet just doing a good deed in the name of Jesus doesn't actually help people know who he is and why we're doing what we're doing. So, so when Peter says in verse 9, you are, listen, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, he said, hey, here's the reason. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why, that's why we are who we are. So we live out our ultimate mission and ultimate purpose that this reality of Christ is so good that we cannot keep it to ourselves. How unfair is it to have a treasure that is absolutely free to everyone else while they are living life without it? Some translations say that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so we think about proclaiming excellencies or proclaiming praises. This carries one super massive implication for our witness for Christ. And I believe if we get this, this can absolutely revolutionize our attitude toward pointing people to Jesus with our actual words. And that is this principle. Praise is the pathway to proclamation. Praise is the pathway to proclamation. I mean, that's, 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 what, that's what he says right here, that you may proclaim the excellencies or the praises of him who called you out of darkness into, it's also implied in this word, marvelous light. Do you ever marvel at anything? You're just in awe. You're just taken back. We've been talking about this now for weeks in First Peter. You say, Tanner, that, like, that sounds kind of preachy, that sounds kind of pastoral, that sounds kind of theological, praises the pathway to proclamation, good for you. You're probably going to understand that and live that out this week as best you can. Even Hopefully I'll be praying for you to do that, Pastor Tanner. But what does it mean for me? Anybody thinking that? Let me, let me help you out. If you can answer this one question, What has God done for you? You have everything you need to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you can answer that one question, what, what has God done for me? What is God doing for me? Let me show you how this works. 
If you say, Tanner, I'm still not convinced what this might look like. Just in everyday conversations, as, 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 as conversations go from one place to another and these different themes come up. Anybody ever talk about race? Anybody ever talk about, like, dark things? Every, every single day. Number one, he made me alive. I was spiritually numb, blind to the things of God. Now I'm alive. I have spiritual light. Number two, I have a firm foundation. My life isn't shaken when trials and opposition come against me, and I have every reason to worry and be anxious. My life is built on Christ. Number three, he has given me unlimited and undeserved access to God. I can go to God. I don't have to go down to the church and talk to the priest and see if he'll like put in a good word with me for God, with God. I have access. Number four, I have honor in the sight of God. That means, wow, I have no fear of eternal shame. Talk to people long enough and you'll see how they carry shame in their life. In Christ, there is no shame. Number five, God chose me. He adopted me into his family. Number six, he elevated me to a position of royalty. Number seven, he made me, the, the, the quality of my life so different that my old life is, is, is so vastly different than now people can see the difference in my life. I'm a holy, part of a holy nation. I belong to God now. My life is stamped with his love, number eight. Number nine, I've been brought to, from spiritual darkness into a captivating, marvelous light. Number 10, I moved from being against God to being with God. Number 11, once I had rejected God's mercy, now I have received God's mercy. Number 12, he brought me into this new family. That's 12 reasons from seven verses right there. To declare the praises of him. See, like, it's, it's, not like, it's not that we have to uh, talk about Jesus by only just like bringing our Bible and reading verses. Like absolutely we need to, to speak the truth of, of who Jesus is so that people can know what we know. But, but just in everyday conversation, just giving God some props and praise over what he's done in your life. And oh yes, we can add to those 12 from 7 verses with the whole stinking Bible, but we can also tell our own stories of what God is doing in our life right now. Right now, I have stories from this weekend about being able to speak words of hope and life into people's lives that are truly and really spiritually broken and hurting. That's a story to tell, that God is chasing after them just as much as he's chasing after me. Just to experience very specific guidance and direction through prayer. If you've ever experienced that, and I know you have, if you're in Christ, that's a story to tell. I don't know what to do. I, don't, I didn't know how to work this out. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I prayed about it, and God opened doors, and he gave me direction. These are stories to tell for people who are in the very same situations but don't have the very same resources to move out. And so in this, in this I just want to end with this quote by a man named Elliot Clark in his excellent book, Evangelism as Exiles. It's, it's about... Uh, telling our story from the, the book of First Peter. This is what he says. We must recognize that the power of our words isn't always that our message is more believable than another, but that it's more desirable. 
in evangelism, we don't simply make a logical case, but a doxological one. That's a, that's a, a word of praise, that God is this amazing, that God is this worthy, that God is uh, this, this uh, worthy of our affection and attention. We're not just talking to brains, we're speaking to hearts that have desires and eyes that look for beauty. We're not merely trying to convince people that our gospel is true. We are trying to convince people that our God is good. So be the people that God has made us to be. Let's together build our lives together as a family on the foundation of Christ. Let's reflect the beauty of Christ. But as we reflect that beauty, let's open our mouths and attach some credit to Jesus as we give God praise for what he's up to in our lives, his provision, his peace. Every good thing in our life is a result of how he's working and who he is so that others would be attracted in to say, yes, your God is that good. And I want to follow.